0: ESCAPE POD 133 November 22nd, 2007 Today's story, Other People's Money, by Cory Doctorow
1: Hello and welcome to ESCAPE POD. I'm Steve Ely, speaking to you today from a hotel in London, England. I'd like to call this a vacation, but I'm actually here for work. I started a new day job about a month ago, developing web software, and our main office is here in London. There's an all-hands meeting this week to make a presentation to the main investor, and, well, that's the way the world works these days. And this got me thinking. Science fiction is, in a very broad and over-general sense, about understanding our world by speculating on ways it might change. It's fun to talk about time travel and space battles and all that adventure stuff I was on last week, but there is another end of the pendulum swing. A hazard of always following the dramatic is that it's too easy to lose track of the way the world really is changing around us right now. I'm working a job where people on opposite sides of the Atlantic can build the same product in real time, can communicate in real time for free, we're using Skype for that, And where, if I have to go meet them, I can not only be there in a matter of hours, but I can take just about everything I need to do my job, produce this podcast, and stay in touch with people I care about in one device an inch thick and weighing a couple of pounds. And I could get it smaller if I wanted to. I don't even need wires except for power. This sounds mundane because it's become mundane, but consider, a very large part of the economy today is living in an entirely portable culture, When your world becomes about easily accessible information, you can go anywhere and take your world with you. It feels like this should blow us away more than it does. To wax cliche about it, we are living in science fiction. We just don't notice it when it's all around us. So, business is on my mind. This week's story is a bit different from our usual, and extrapolates on many of the same themes. We present Other People's Money by Cory Doctorow. Mr. Doctorow lives on the internet, I think it's fair to say, also in London. If by some thin chance you haven't heard of him, he's one of the main editors of Boing Boing, the most popular group blog in the world highlighting geek news, culture, and amusements, and he's also a former leader of European activities for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. The webcomic XKCD also claims that he travels the world, fighting injustice with his red cape and high-altitude balloon, but we haven't been able to confirm or deny that with him. This story first appeared in Forbes magazine earlier this year. The story is read for us by Amanda Fitzwater, New Zealand native, writer, and voice actor in a number of dramatic podcasts with Darker Projects at DarkerProjects.com. They're doing some great stuff there, reviving radio theatre, so I hope you'll check them out. So hold on to your stock options. It's story time.
0: Other People's Money by Cory Doctorow Gretel's stall in the dead Walmart off the I-5 in Pico Rivera was not the busiest spot in the place, but that was how she liked it. Time to think was critical to her brand of functional sculpture, and reflection was the scarcest commodity of all in 2027. Which is why she was hoping that the venture capitalist would just leave her alone. He wasn't a paying customer, he wasn't a fellow artist, he wanted to buy her and he was 30 years too late. You know, I pitched you guys in 1999 on Sand Hill Road, one of the founding partners, Kleiner, I think. The guy ate a salad all through my slide deck. When I was done, he wiped his mouth, looked over my shoulder and told me he didn't think I'd scale. That was it. He didn't even pick up my business card. When I looked back as I was going out the door... I saw him sweep it into the trash with the wrapper of his sandwich. The VC, young with the waxy, sweaty look of someone who ate a lot of GM yogurt to try patch his biochemistry, shook his head. That wasn't us. We're a franchise based here in LA. I just opened up the Englewood branch, but I can see how that would have soured you on us. Did you ever get your VC? Gretel tossed her tablet with a crash on top of an overflowing barrel of Primo plastics and wiped her hands on the cunningly stitched dress quilted from back pockets of vintage bootleg Levi's, their frayed, misspelt red tags on proud display. Son, that was 1999. Within a year, VCs weren't writing term sheets. They were doing cram downs on anything halfway decent in their portfolios, forcing out the founders, trying to flip them before the market cratered but it wasn't that pitch that soured me on Sandhill Road. We're in Inglewood. Yes, you said. Eh, What the hell, it was Wednesday, and she had all her week's commissions done already. The VC was at least pretty, if you like them young. He had good teeth. They all had good teeth now, and a cute bump in the bridge of his nose that spoke of a little bit of brawling before his B-school days. Okay, here's the thing. I had a running code, a half million users. That was big numbers then. We did moderation matching, a heuristic that figured out whether a message on a message board was flame bait, flagging up the worst offenders to volunteers who blindly checked each other. The BBC was hand-moderating a million message board posts a day back then. We could do better. But no one thought we'd scale up. Our customers were little guys, hot-rodder boards, cooking boards. Most of them were getting everything for free in exchange for serving as our reference customers. Which was how all those biz dev weasels did things back then. By 2007 we were Web 2.0. I mean, we'd been Web 2.0 since Web 0.9, but now it seems like the world was ready for us. All we needed was some capital to pay for the features our freeloading reference customers wanted. I met every single shit weasel, excuse me, junior analyst, on Sandhill and brain dumped. They wrote great reports. We got nothing. No one was doing investments then either. It was all acquisition driven. Stupid Sarbanes Oxley killed IPOs and the VC went with it. The stall across the way was half the size of hers. The old Shenzhen couple that ran it were real gnarly, covered in old burn scars from working in the plastic tag factory where they'd met. Now they sold nostalgic hardware, old working specialty appliances and devices from WTO's heyday. They were highly complimentary to Gretel's own business, which is why they had such a friendly relationship. The old woman, she called herself Chloe, was giving her a little hand gesture that meant ''Do you need help getting rid of this jerk?'' ''It's okay,'' Gretel said to her, waving. ''Want to get lunch in 20 minutes?'' The old lady rocked back and forth. ''Not nutritionist food,'' she said. Gretel nodded enthusiastically. Nutritionist food wasn't even food, just nutrients and flavouring. It was 80% of the stalls in the food court, since the capital costs of a food printer and feedstock were practically nil, And any food hacker could differentiate himself by thinking up exotic new texture-flavour-temperature combos. Twenty minutes, Mr VC. Uday, he said. Uday Gonzalez. He passed her a card, laser-etched on a jumbo lima bean. She pocketed it. You'd have thought I'd learnt my lesson by then, but no, sir. I'm the original glutton for punishment. After Bubble 2.0, I took my best coders, our CFO, and a dozen of our users and did a little healthcare startup, brokering carbon-neutral medical travel plans to Fortune 500s. Today that sounds like old hat, but back then it was sexy. No one seriously believed that we could get out from under the HMOs, but between Virgin's cheap bulk ticket sales and the stellar medical deals in Venezuela, Argentina and Cuba, it was the only cost-effective way. And once the IWWW signed up 80% of the US workforce through World of Starcraft Guilds, no employer could afford to skimp on health insurance. The word would go out during that night's raids, and by the morning, you'd have picket lines in front of every branch office. We had all the right connections, but by then I was a 40-year-old woman, and that's as close as you can come to being invisible in this society without having brown skin or a janitor's uniform. Didn't even get the chance to get ignored in the offices. We couldn't even get meetings. Not once they found my YASNS profiles and saw what I looked like and the codgers in my social network. So that's when I threw in the towel. I bought a Dremel tool, then a hot glue gun, then a CNC lathe, then a mill. Then I got serious. Well, it seems to have worked out for you. The VC leaned over the display cabinet. She saw his reflection in the clear top. His eyes were wide with genuine admiration. Okay, okay, she thought. Okay, you get another five minutes, Uday Gonzalez. She opened the lid and made fortune teller passes over her pieces with her hands. Pick them up. That's what they're for. He went for the fish first. Its scales were individual slices from the skins of old Nokia phones, back when it was just Nokia, not Marvel Comics Mobile, each articulated on its own little sprig of memory wire. The gills were scuffed iPod backings, the logos just recognisable under the fog of scratches. The eyes bore HP and PlayStation logos respectively, and the lips were made from inner tube strips that bore the smallest recognisable logo marks. As he lifted it, It settled into his hand, arching back to find his thumb and palm nestling in there. It'll work like an old-time phone, she said. It'll even do a little look-up from old-style exchange numbers to different identity registers and try to get you a voice call with someone. Do people really do that? Some do. Most just want it for the objectness of it. It's got a lot of emotion. The scuffs, that's what did it. They were like stories, those scratches, Each one a memento mori for some long-dead instant in some stranger's life. He picked up another piece. This one was purely sculptural, made from several generations of iPhones. Their screens carved into abstract shapes and then painted with networked OLEDs that stitched them together into a single display. The abstract shapes and colours combined with the device's aggressive incursions on your PAN to give the sense of holding a vampire, something transgressive and savage. Dangerous. When was the last time you owned a device that felt that dangerous? Never. The VC seemed to surprise himself with his vehemence. He fumbled the device, caught it, set it down reverently. Gretel laughed. I can be rougher than that. My little critters love adapting to hard circumstances. She tossed the vampire high in the sky, let it come down on the floor, having righted itself in the air to take the drop on its armoured back. You can't break it. It's made of garbage. The VC fondled each of her pieces, making genuine appreciative noises. She could tell the difference between the genuine article and the fakes. I remember all of these things from when I was little, he said at last. I wanted them all so badly. Each one seemed impossibly wonderful and out of reach. Yeah, she said. That's what does it all right. That feeling right there. You watch these goes from fetish item to six for a buck in the blister packs at the pharmacy checkout. This gives them back their dignity. Can I ask how many of these you sell? Enough, she said. As many as I can make. I mostly do Commissions but only with people who come down in person. I won't sell online. Getting off email was the best gift I ever gave myself. You are hard to reach, he said. Nope, I'm easy to reach. You just have to haul ass head at Pico Rivera. There's even parking if you're that kind of pervert. I think I can see why you aren't interested in capital, he said. You can't scale this up. Not with all the money in the world. Gretel laughed. UVC. Scale, scale, scale. It's all you think of. You're wrong, as it turns out. This business decomposes into four elements. Materials acquisition, design, fabrication and retail. They all scale like crazy. Tank Materials. After the WTO, the Chinese spent 25 years brute-forcing the problem space of all possible 3D plastic objects than an American might pay for. There is no shortage of that stuff. Most of it is sitting in international waters somewhere on a container ship, waiting for someone to pay the carbon taxes to land it somewhere. I can bring in all the junk electronics and chassis and parts that I want. And I print the actuators, controllers, wires and the rest of it here. Design? Design's easy. Roll the parts through the tumbler and let each one get scanned up good. Then run the evolutionary algorithm to see how they can fit together. I just watch it, tweaking it, culling the ugly mutants, cultivating the pretty ones. I can do 50 original designs in a day. And by the time I'm done with any random container... I'll have used up more than 80% of its payload. The rest goes to some feedstockers to be eaten by bacteria. Manufacturing. That's just monkey labour. Easy. Every kid takes shop class nowadays, especially the girls. I made cars for my parents' anniversary, he said. Fuel cell? He snorted. No one wants to drive a truck anymore. sub solar. Fast little things. He picked up the fish again. In retail. That's just you, here. So if you could scale up, why don't you? Why should I? I'm making incredible money now. I could stand to double my operation, but for that I'd need, what, 60 grand? What's the smallest angel round you do at your franchise? We're very nimble. How nimble? He mumbled something. Speak up. 300k, he said, blushing. But it doesn't have to be all to you. We could roll you round up with five or six similar firms and increase my communications and bureaucracy overhead by 3,000%. Yeah, that sounds swell. I need enough after expenses that I could double every quarter if I wanted to. But I'm growing organically, cherry-picking my best contractors and getting them on the payroll, expanding poco a poco. I am sixty years old, Mister Gonzalez, and I don't need to grow like a tumor anymore. He put the fish back down. It flopped. You say you're nimble, but from where I sit, you're not nimble enough. You're starting off in the three hundred grand range, and you're probably averaging a million in your angel round. Ten or twenty for Series A, seventy for Series B. I can turn sixty grand into six hundred in six months. That's pretty good for me as an individual. But I can't turn your million into ten million, not in six years. What does your franchise have under management? We're a gigafund, he said. He managed to make it sound like a boast. She shook her head. You poor, poor boy. How are you going to spend a billion dollars in $300,000 increments? You'll be sitting on three quarters of that by the time you cash out the fund. It's the smallest amount that a franchisee can take, he said. Well, sure. The parent company's got, what, half a trillion under management? Don't look so surprised. Yes, I keep up to date on the shenanigans you mighty morphin power brokers get up to in Silly Valley. No wonder they're franchising. But the secret is, big money is dumb money. I can spend a hundred bucks so smart that I can turn it into fifteen hundred. You look like a smart kid. You could probably make a thousand. But you'll never do the same trick with your billion and other people's money. Whoever sold you that franchise conned you, Sonny. He looked glum. Ah, oh, cheer up, she said. You're a young man, getting shafted by VC's bills character. Look at me. He picked up the fish again. She knew what he was going to ask without having to wait. She named the price. But for you, a 10% discount. He shook his head and put it back. I can't afford that, he said. What are you doing tonight? He cocked an eyebrow at her. Don't worry, I'm not interested in your youthful limbs. I just have a spot on my third shift. One of McGill's is pregnant and she's taking some maternity. You pull six hours starting at 11pm and you can take that home. I'm not supposed to moonlight. He caressed the fish's scales. They rippled under his finger. It's due diligence, she said. He smiled. He was very pretty. And he'd built two cars. Not bad. He'd do okay. Maybe he'd even work out and end up one of her regulars. Think about it. I close down at 6pm. You come by then, if you're interested, and I'll give you the details for the fabrica. She locked her cabinets and set out her gone-to-lunch sign, then hopped over the display case, vaulting it the way she'd learnt to do in yoga acrobatics class in Silver Lake. Lunchtime! Mrs Wang called to one of her daughters to come out and staff the booth, then came round on her cane. No nutritionist food, she said. Certainly not, Gretel said, sprinkling a wave at the VC as he moved off among the stalls in the dead Walmart.
1: And that was our story. There was a lot going on there. I think my favorite concept was the Chinese brute-forcing the problem space of all objects an American might buy. Mostly because I thought that had already been done. So, feedback for Escape Pod 130, Robert Silverberg's time-bending piece, What We Learned From This Morning's Newspaper. Unfortunately, this was another where we lost a number of comments in this screwed-up server move. The reaction to this piece was fairly lukewarm. A number of people did like it. Graven had the most positive surviving comment. I never paid much attention to Mr. Silverberg. I was always more into Asimov and Heinlein. Based on these stories, I may have been remiss. And DKT wrote, I really fell for this story when he ends up getting last week's paper, and it's full of things he doesn't remember happening. Up until then, I thought it was okay, but that was the turning point for me. But a lot more people felt the story was rather weak, especially on the ending. Some felt the detailed lists of stock prices went a bit long for audio, and a few people thought that the old TV show Early Edition handled the same concept better, although, to be fair, Silverberg's story precedes it by some decades. Dave, a.k.a. Nev the Deranged, said, Criminy! Even the legends of the genre aren't immune from non-ending-itis. And Julio went so far as to post the definition of a shaggy dog story from Wikipedia. The comment of the week came from Martin R., and I hesitate to include it here, but it was the funniest comment, even if it incriminates me. He said, Ha ha, Steve, I was wondering why you had this funny, lilting, smurfy tone to your voice at the beginning of your reading. It was weirdly familiar, and I wondered where I had heard you use it before. Then I reached the outro comments, and I remembered the Poly Weekly episode you co hosted with Minx. People, you gotta hear this episode. It's a document of the Ely in Heat. I don't know if I'd agree with that, but, well, anything I say after that, you're not going to believe anyway. Moving on. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. All of the rights are reserved by our authors, but if you want to share Cory Doctorow's work, he's got a whole boatload of stuff that's Creative Commons Licensed, too. So check out his website at CrapHound.com and find out what you can give away and how. If you like this week's episode, we hope you'll tell a friend or blog about us. And if you can, please consider donating via the PayPal link on our site so that we can keep paying our authors. I'd also encourage you to check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, at pseudopod.org, and our upcoming fantasy podcast at podcastle.org. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can find them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. We'll close the show out with one of my all-time favorite aphorisms— The key to success is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. We'll see you next week. Have fun.